0: Welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. Hello, everyone. It's Gabriel and Nick. How's it? Long Boy and Lure Liberty. Yep, yep. It's Valentine's Day. Yes. So we've got a bottle of Hanky Valentine's finest alcohol whiskey. Cheers. And here we are at the tail
1: end of a very long week. Indeed. A week which I was struck down by some terrible flu. Not quite covid 2019 which is the fun new name for the coronavirus. Nouveau SARS. Nouveau Sars But it was rather
0: unpleasant Yeah, you were out And so that left uh, me to deal with a lot of people Coming to the office saying Hey, where's Nick?
1: (laughs) Hey, where's Nick?
0: And then you came back And you were stuck in meetings all day And people kept saying, hey, where's Nick? So (laughs) that's good to be missed It's great for my self-esteem No one has ever come in to be like Oh, hey, Gabe But that's okay You're a friendlier guy you're also much more of a pessimist. I don't know if they go together.
1: <laughs> I know. I've just felt very pessimistic recently, and there's been very little to change my mind.
0: Yeah. No, uh, data points are not rolling in, in the, to the, prove you wrong.
1: The, the, the sort of South Africa is looking just like so bleak, although that was the subject of our last one. Uh, so let's not get too bogged down on that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I want to say one good news thing. And I, I said to listeners of the Daily Friend uh, sort of three times a week podcast that I would I would address this here mm. on this august forum mm. of the... Tree. Uh, and it's a question that I think South Africans really do well to ask themselves. And anyone thinking about South Africa does well to ask themselves. Cause it's quite big, sort of almost abstract, but embodies itself in one particular person. The question is, is Nelson Mandela the Hindenburg of
1: South Africa? So who's Hindenburg? Well, Hindenburg's a big zeppelin that got set on fire. No, 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 not that one. The other one. The other one that was big, but not as big. So that Hindenburg
0: was named after... Uh, Paul von Hindenburg. He had many names,
1: von Zis, von that, von the other thing. He was a, a war hero in the First World War. Yeah. But so, also had been in the German army since forever.
0: He had been in the German army when they were crushing the French, I feel, back in 1870s. And uh, was a retired general. World War I comes along, things are... Chugging along marvelously until people realize that the war's not going to be over by Christmas. And there's a lot of Russians coming. Russia has the largest infantry the world has ever seen. Uh, Russia's really good for a few things. Poetry, very depressing novels, vodka, and blood.
1: Lots and lots of soldiers.
0: Russia gave a lot of blood, and the Germans were getting worried that they'd be overwhelmed, so they called back, Herr her Meister, Paul von Hindenburg. Yeah, and he came with this old series about honor
1: and tactics and overwhelming the enemy with manliness. And the Russians uh, helped him out at a place called Tannenberg by being very useless. You know, this is. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, okay, so one so so one
0: early parallel, I suppose, uh, is that the largest statue in Germany was of Heidenberg. Hindenburg. Hindenburg. Uh, Heisenberg. No, no. <laughs> was of Hindenburg. And the idea was that if you wanted to support the German war effort, you could buy a nail to go into the statue. That would be erected in one of the plazas of him and be a big, marvelous thing. But instead of paying like the cost of a nail, you pay like in today's terms like a thousand rand. And all the extra money goes to... Uh, paying for the war effort so it was kind of like war bonds but sort of just war donations mm. you know donate to the grand it's hero a symbolic thing yeah yeah and it raised a lot of money and it made a big beautiful statue and then him and Ludendorff and Gröner and uh, the rest did really really well at setting up a defensive line and then driving the Russians back on the eastern front of Germany mm. and then they pivoted to the west
1: well they did pretty well too in and, fact I think Hindenburg ends the war as one of the supreme commanders of the German.
0: yeah so he rises to the tip top and he is—he really is a grand hero. And he really was a man of moral courage. He was a man of physical courage. He was a man of honor. I think that it's quite hard to fault him. Uh, he, he, he made personal sacrifices. He, he was a champion of the German national cause. It's a little bit complicated because World War I is so easy to look back on as a pointless war. Where there's no real victor. In fact, it's a war that doesn't end. I take Nal Ferguson's line seriously that you really should think of World War One and World War Two as being the same war with Something, an interregnum,
1: an armistice. agrees with that as well.
0: Yeah, mm. these are these are both American-based uh, historians that Nick and I kind of fan on a bit uh, critically. Um, anyway, so great guy. And the Germany that emerges from 1918, 1919 is much like South Africa coming out of 1994. Uh, what do I mean by that? I, I think one of the really underrated estimate, uh, qualities of World War I was the sense of it being a race-based war. Today, we think of race as just being black and white. But back in the day, if you said Anglo-Saxon, that's a race, they said, of course it's a race. If you said Slav, that's a race, say, of course that's a race. Gael, Teuton. So um, the,
1: when, when nationalism was, in a sense, a kind of racism of, of the sort.
0: Yeah. And then people really thought of themselves as sharing ancestry and that being the, the real unit of selection. And we've discussed a little bit before uh, Dominic Liev in the Don of uh, History at Cambridge, his theory that World War I is really created by race nationalists, Slav race nationalists in particular, in Russia, in South Slavia, what we then come to call Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia is just the word for South in the slavonic languages so it's like south africa anyway and their idea the the slavic idea is that we need a you know one one nation to hold all the slavs together and then we'll really win and that really matters because they see the retreat of the ottoman empire so they've got a decolonizing flag to wave they say the the mongol yoke held moscow kiev uh, under it's pressure and then so we managed to lift the yoke huh
1: it's hooves i suppose yeah under
0: its hooves the mongol hooves and and we managed to undo that but the ottoman yoke continues to oppress the south slavians and we as pan slavians need to get our act together and take over those lands around the hellespont also it's going to be strategically good because it gives russia access to the mediterranean yeah. sea and that becomes their sort of policy focus diplomats, military experts, generals in Russia who are against that and are more pragmatists and say, look, we've got these people to the far east who might look different to us, so they don't qualify as Slavs as being part of the same race. They've got yellower skin. They've got a different look in the eye. But they're Russians. They speak Russian, and we need to develop infrastructure there. We need to sort of develop the economy there, develop trade there. They were just hounded out as basically white monopoly capitalists of the time. They were called German bourgeois decadent promulgators <laughs> of self-interest. Okay, so that was like a disaster and it meant that the Russian war drum kept being banged to the point where on the on the when some like archduke is assassinated in South Slavia by a South Slav pan-Slav nationalist, Gavrilo uh, Princip, the Germans are like, dudes, we don't trust the Russians not to turn this into some kind of race war,
1: and, the, the Russian, and so
0: we have to respond to this.
1: Yeah, and the Russian general staff are worried about the sort of overall rise of uh, of um, uh, German, oh, sorry, of Russian power, which they think will even inevitably overwhelm Germany, and so that the Germans have to act sooner rather than later to stop yeah. this behemoth, this yeah. dangerous animal.
0: Because once you, when you're into race... Like competition, Then you also like, well, which race is breeding faster? Which race is bigger? Which race is developing faster? Oh, if you give them the chance, the one with the most numbers, they're going to just crush us all, so they gear up against it. Okay, so this is just background to say, like, that...
1: This is the context no- from which Paul von Hindenburg arises the war. Yeah. He, he doesn't win, but he's seen as a hero in...
0: Exactly. ...by the Germans. This sort of confusing race war. And although the Germans didn't set it up that way, this really becomes the German way of thinking about it afterwards Mm -hmm. Um, so what's the first big mistake that Hindenburg makes it is Kaiser Wilhelm II was the supreme commander of Germany its emperor its emperor going into the war and by 1970, and he was really, he was bellicose, Hey, eh? That oak just wanted to blick some people.
1: The, the slur, here's an interesting aside, the slur against Germans in the First World War that was popular, the Huns, hmm. they used to call Germans Huns, actually came from a Kaiser Wilhelm speech when he was speaking to German troops about to be sent off to uh, uh, Namibia to kill Namibians, basically, to commit the, Do a little genocide. genocide. yeah. Uh, he said, you must be as the Huns were to Europe or something like that. You must mm. be, destroy everything in your wake and leave nothing in the mm-hmm. And a journalist who was supposed to be kept out of the event was standing on a rooftop nearby and heard the speech, which mm. was sort of off script. Yeah, uh, And so this was the kind of guy Kaiser Wilhelm was.
0: Yeah, the ad lib. And of course, it really, that really suits the Slav race nationalist idea because they were taken over by the Huns coming Obviously, from the East. Yes and now the Huns are coming from the west. All enemies to the Slav. Okay, so Hindenburg... Okay, so Kaiser Wilhelm II, this bellicose emperor, needs to step aside before a reasonable peace treaty can be agreed upon. This becomes And and the whole of Germany is
1: collapsing as well at this time.
0: Internal strife is crazy. Someone needs to give him the message from the military to say, you know, we don't want to... We don't want to
1: do like the Russians and... The, Ge- the German army is, I think they, at the end there, they, they, they said to him, the army is basically finished.
0: You've got to step down. So the first message is you've got to step down. It's up to Hindenburg to give the message. Hindenburg is ready to give the message until the very last moment, then he can't do it because he says, as a man of honor, I am sworn to allegiance to Sir Kaiser and I can't tell him. So he asks his friend Ludendorff or groner or won't you please just let him know that he should step down? So he he delegates that hard task. Then Germany gets its new Weimar Republic, a government declared by means of shouting out of a window on the Wilhelmstrasse, we are the government. Uh, it's a great way to start a government. We should uh, try that. Yeah. <laughs> the Institute of Race Relations has seriously been considering which window <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go for when uh, if, the, if if things get worse. Okay, they get the charge and it's time for them to, after the armistice of 11th November uh, at 11 past 11, they say, okay, no more fighting. It's time to go to Versailles and cut a deal. And the deal being offered by the allies is pretty brutal. Maybe not brutal enough, maybe too brutal. That's not a debate for now. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson has very interesting views on that. And Nicholas is looking at me with-
1: Menace. (laughs) Menace
0: in his eyes. Um, but it's, it's a hard deal for Germans to swallow. I think that we can agree the on. It
1: wounds their pride, for sure.
0: Yeah. They've got to take sole responsibility for the war, which they've got good grievance about, especially if Dominic Levin's theory about the pan-Slavic race nationalist project sort of making it very difficult mm. for them to avoid some kind of response is correct. And so the the new government having declared itself out the window, now finds itself in the awkward position of sitting in Versailles and being like, what do we do? So they call the generals and they're like, guys, this is not looking good. You know, if we have to, this is a stinky pill that we have to swallow. Uh, Is there any way out of it? If we take up the war again, can we knock those guys back? And the answer comes back, we couldn't last two weeks. If they come after us properly, the Americans come back at it, we couldn't last two weeks. And that's not even because, like, that's even if they come at us with half force, we're just so at the end of our tethers, mm-hmm. supply lines and logistics, defection rates, morale, everything is not looking good. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to take whatever deal they have to offer. This is the assessment of the hardcore sort of military intelligence here at the top. They say to Hindenburg, he challenges them, they answer all of his questions, and he's like, you're right, you are correct, we, there's nothing we can do. So he picks up the phone to call for signs, hey say, guys, you've got to tell, take whatever you can get but he puts it down he says as a man of honor I just cannot bring myself this is like kneeling down before the French oh my god the French and so English and those American upstarts with their oh, shopkeeping Americans, those shopkeeping yeah. those merchants with no honor at all now I must bow down before them and take whatever I can get impossible I just won't do it but of course the military fact is he can't find either so what does he do well he says to Ludendorff or Groene, I think it's groner Don't you want to make the call instead? So he delegates the second task And Gröner makes the call Why does this matter? Well it matters because In the 20s a myth begins To take root That the Germans could have won the war But they were cheated at the negotiating table
1: And stabbed in the back by the Jews
0: Yes others. It all goes together This myth that the Germans could have won the war but were cheated at the negotiating table becomes not only important at a sort of rhetorical level on the public square, the soapboxes where new race nationalists are rising up to harness the grief in a hyperinflationary economic catastrophe and say well if your lives are miserable come to me for I am the prophet of salvation and believe me when I say that if we just band together according to blood then pragmatism and economic growth and all that other stuff will. Says a Mr. Adolf Hitler Yeah. But he's far from the only one, hey? In the twenties, he's just one of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new dudes. One of Adolf Hitler's probably his most important initial uh, real politic victories is to get the military rear guard on side. This is important because Germany had a huge army, millions and millions of people, and the Treaty of Versailles said you're no longer allowed to have a huge army. So and all, all a of a bunch sudden,
1: you've got
0: four million off. at least unemployed soldiers. Who know discipline, who know how to use guns, who know how to organize, who know how to take commands, who know how to delegate. They are potent and they, they are looking. The, the fright call. They're looking for something. And eventually they, they become the brown shirts mm. when the Nazis really get a hold of them. And then he does a bit of a purge, and then you get the black shirts. And, 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 the, and the key strategic sort of connection. That he makes with him before the anti-Semitism thing, because they weren't—they were so not preoccupied with that. It's important to remember, as as Nal Ferguson likes to point out, that Germany had the highest rate of interracial, one of the highest rates of interracial marriage. Race, of course, Semite was a race, but interracial marriages between Semitic peoples—Germans peoples, and Jews—in Jews, um, Europe at the time. It, uh, if you look at. Uh, where W.H. Auden and uh, Isherwood and sort of the great poets of the era, they were all hanging out in Berlin because it had the most cosmopolitan culture. It really did take over Vienna as the cosmopolitan capital of, of, of middle Europe. Uh, it was a great place to be gay. It was a re- great place to 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 make theater, to make extravagant paintings that sort of pushed the boundaries of, of, of what's acceptable in a uh, revered art space. And if you look at the propaganda that comes out in the 30s against the Jews, so much of it was the cosmopolitan jew some guy wearing a suit, smoking a cigarette with a beautiful woman on his arm, she's bejeweled. And he is rich and famous because he is a real harnesser of cultural mores. He's a movie maker, he's a theater writer, he is a painter, he's a poet, he's a philosopher. The reason that that stereotype worked was because in Germany in the 20s, there were a lot of really successful Jews, really popular Jews, really famous Jews.
1: Driving culture.
0: Who were driving culture, right? So you mustn't think that Germany came from, and and there is a powerful and really disturbing analogy to the Johannesburg that I've lived in for the last several years, which has had so much beautiful creativity, so much tolerance, so much extravagance. And in, in, in its more elite spaces, much like in the heartlands, once you sort of get, get outside the media echo chamber of kind of boring news and into the, the creative space, the music industry, the, the film industry, the arts industry, it's, it's everything is a rainbow. Everything is everything is fabulous, right? So that that's not a guardian against the doom. That can become uh, just another data point to be used in propaganda that brings the doom about. And the, and the key linchpin for the Nazis to beat out the other soapbox rubbishes was to say, and you know what matters the most? The Treaty of Versailles, that was the first plank and that was the thing that Hitler hit hardest. We were robbed at the negotiating table. We could have won the war. I was a soldier. I knew that we were prouder and braver and truer and more resilient than the enemy. And we could have beaten them, but we were cheated at the negotiating table by a bunch of social liberal Democrats.
1: And communists.
0: And communists and Jews and Jews. And these soft hearted, weak minded, namby pamby. If he had the word soy boy in his vocabulary, he would have said it. That's what the enemy was and they cheated us at the negotiating table. So what we need to do is reharness the same energy, get rid of the corrupt elements at the head of the snake that redirected it the wrong way, get the same musculature going, but this time use the battering ram to bash away our neighbors and establish ourselves as a potent force. And that of course was music to the ears of all of these disgruntled souls who had nothing to do excepting well, sit on their hands. They had someone to beat up. So they could go beat up all of the people that Hitler said were enemies inside the country and then go beat up all the people that Hitler said were enemies
1: outside of the country. So I'm trying to say- And at the end of the day, of course, the result is Germany destroyed, everything bombed, half the country occupied by communists.
0: Yeah. Really, really bad outcome for Hitler. But what does this mean for us? So, so well, what was, I, I, I wanna take it slightly slowly and just say, it's important to remember that in the 20s, Hitler was nothing. Hindenburg when he first hears about Hitler says, that little Austrian corporal, who does he think he is? <laughs> because Hitler didn't even come from Germany because he was never much no, of anything was, in the military. He was a
1: homeless man and you know, he had served bravely but like in a very minor role. He was a very low rank, he was a corporal.
0: So Hindenburg really thought he had him. That's one important thing. In a really big way he did nearly have him because Hindenburg was in a time when Germans couldn't agree on anything, they could not agree on anything in the 20s and 30s. Everything was going wrong, right? So there were socialists, there were communists. Within the communists, there were Trotskyist, internationalist communists, there were sort of more do it at home first, Rosa Luxemburg style communists. The- in, on the other side of things, there were sort of capitalists that were very into the free market. There were oligopolists who were very into protected markets. Tariffs against Russia. Previously, they'd been quite pro-free trade. That stopped. There what were- the National socialist fascist types. God, there was- Everything and 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 if you look at its parliament, its parliament was the, the 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 Reichstag was formed and dissolved, formed and dissolved, formed and dissolved. It was complete. It was a catastrophe. There were many many elections because no one could get a majority, no one could get a working coalition. The guys trying to hold the centre were ridiculed for being inept, useless, unable to implement anything. Kind of guys, their ideas are maybe bad, maybe good, but they can't even do it. The one thing everyone agreed on in this time was that Hindenburg was a hero. And that is the great analogy between Hindenburg and Nelson Mandela. South Africa is really sitting in a situation where on a lot of in a lot of ways, the people who's, who have big platforms really can't agree. Should we nationalize all the land? Should we privatize all the land? nationalize some of the land? Should we nationalize some of the land? Should we do like a blended finance scheme? Should, Should we, we adopt
1: do- uh, BE or reject BE? Should we, you know?
0: There's just it's just endless like points of disagreement. The ANC is the most popular party, but it's like half of South Africans aren't voting, so it's only a quarter of South Africans that are and really voting the for the ANC. Can't agree on what to do. Within the ANC, there are at least two factions that are at each other's necks. Uh, you know, it's it's a mess. We 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 don't we, we're not a coherent society at the level of public discourse. Even if, as the institute keeps saying, you know, at our no, core values, no, we, we really agree there's things. like eighty percent of South Africans that are good people. Okay. But so at the level of public discourse, we can't agree about anything excepting this, surely, that Nasmandilla was a great guy. And that's the that's the simplest analogy between him and Hinberg. And the greatest part of the analogy is that they were both heroes in a time when countries really needed a hero. And Cursed are the times when you really need a hero. The problem is that Hindenburg's heroism depended on a simple thought that he could have won the war, but that he was cheated at the negotiating table. And he himself proactively allowed that thought to grow from the very top by delegating the responsibility of telling Wilhelm that he needs to abdicate, by delegating the responsibility to tell the a uh, Weim, new Weimar Republic that it needs to take any deal it can get because they're gonna be crushed. And then after that, by delegating the responsibility of standing up and saying, guys, we could not have won the war. This is the, this is- a, a, What a, we had to do. We had to do this. We have to make this negotiation work. We have to figure out how to make this work. We can't try and wish that it could be undone. And how does this story end? God, it ends really badly. Nelson, uh, uh, Adolf Hitler starts rising to power, he thinks he can command him, he thinks he can control him, he thinks he can manipulate him, he thinks- They go into we- coalition together then. Then he thinks I need to use this guy to shore up his report in order to batter off the ultra left communists, and then once I've done that, then I can turn against him. That doesn't work, he goes senile, his son kind of steps into his place, endorses Hitler. Posthumously, there's this crazy thing where Volhom's last letter is to Hitler saying, if you're reading this letter, it's because I'm dead now and you need to bugger off, you vicious little thing. And if you have any sense of honor and if you've meant any of the stuff that you said all your life about how you respect me, then you're gonna take my word at this. That letter is crushed. And hidden. And instead, Hindenburg's son stands up and says, Well, you know, Hitler's a jolly good chap and he's going to get the shit together. And this is just like unnervingly similar to what went on with Mandela and the growing uh, race nationalists and communists in South Africa, especially Malema. Mandela never slammed Malema. He surely would have thought of him as a little corporal. Some guy who
1: during the great. He's a a young lion, he'll mellow with time.
0: The people's war, or he was a nothing. He's like a nine-year-old passing around messages.
1: From Limpopo, no one cares.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm saying during the struggle, Malema was a kid, he wants to cram struggle credentials. But whereas Nelson Mandela was the head of the army, right, the resistance army. But the, the, the really crucial thing is that the 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 idea that begins to nestle in South Africans' hearts and minds around the time that Jacob Zuma comes to take over in 2007, 2008, I experienced this when I go to University of Cape Town in 2008, is that we were cheated at the negotiating table. Mandela was a good guy. He bargained for what he thought he could bargain for, but we had an amazing struggle army and they could have wiped out the Nats and we could have had everything and in instead of only got some of the things and so that's the right that we need to wrong and he allowed that message to fester during his reign he spoke up the national democratic revolution he spoke up the thought that uh were it not for the third force uh there wouldn't have been any violence whereas like the empirical you know the goldstone commission anti dr anti-jeffrey's uh, oh, it was a war. Thorough analysis.
1: A people's war, if you will.
0: It was a people's war, and 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 it really was between primarily between the ANC and the Inkatha Freedom Party. Uh, and there's no ways that the ANC could have taken out the Nats, not because they weren't braver, not because they didn't have justice on their side, but because wars aren't decided by who's got the right idea. They're decided by who's got the guns and who's got the money.
1: And the better strategy and the more gear. And all that.
0: And the Nats had the better strategy, and they had the guns, and they had the and they had the tanks, and they had the Caspers, and they had all of that stuff. And the ANC's army was like, you know, has widely been uh, rated by real experts as the very least uh, dangerous
1: one in the whole of Africa. Yeah, of all the liberation armies.
0: So, so I think that this is all to say that part of the reason we love Nelson Mandela. And that we all agree he's a great guy is because he was a humanist who saw through race and who saw through the superficial bullshit to true humanity and forged forgiveness and stood up for liberalism, stood up for freedom, stood up for a rules-bound system. And that's great. But part of the reason that people love Mandela, and I felt this at high school, a high school we both went to. Yeah. Dudes there, there were there were black race nationalists there who were both black and white, hey? Eh? Wokeys before the, before the before term. Before the term was. Who term was were hugely into the fact that Nelson Mandela was a struggle hero. He was an army guy and he could have destroyed the whites. Yes were it not for the fact that he went soft too soon. No, I think they a, love that militarism, that schoolboy militarism. That's a huge reason that he's loved. That's I why think, he's loved I by think, Malema. Uh, that's why he's loved by... Someone, uh, someone in...
1: Winnie uh, Madigisella followers. Either, either someone in late primary school or early high school said to me, yeah. the thing that's great about Mandela is that he could have taken revenge but didn't. Yeah. And
0: it's an incorrect assessment. It's a fundamentally incorrect assessment. The ANC got better than the best bargaining position that anyone could have hoped for. It, they got it too well. If we'd had a more federalized system, it would have been harder, I think, for them to hold on to power for so long in so, mm-hmm. many, in so many parts of the country. And that, and that greater competition would have kept the party more honest and, and more healthy, I think. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in fact, they kind of won too much, I think, for their own good. Yes. For our own good, I say, as a childhood lover of the ANC, you know, I, this is really, the, that, that's what I was brought up in. Uh, was, was, I've
1: never had this problem.
0: <laughs> was was a ulition, a celebration of them. I maintain that, I th- that they're the greatest party this country's ever had. In the- and at this stage, they're the worst party around today. I mean, in terms of damage that they've done in the last 10 years. Like, obviously, they're the guys in charge. So maybe maybe it's a false standard. But anyway, sure. so the thought is that Hindenburg held on to his esteem, and we talk about the esteem economy a lot. He was the most esteemed person in Germany. He's more
1: interested in protecting his heroic image than he was in saving the country from its own ridiculous lies.
0: Yeah, and I think that if there, the the reason to talk about this is that it's 30 years since Nelson Mandela was released by F.W. de Klerk. That That was a commemoration that we had on Tuesday, and it's an important day. And Nelson Mandela came out immediately and said, we have to keep up the armed struggle. There was a problem in that speech. I think he could have avoided saying that. That's where that's Anthea Jeffrey's turning moment in her book, *The People's War*, which is, in my opinion, the best book to have come out in the country last year. She says he really didn't have to say that. That's her. That's her estimation. Yeah, yeah. I think historians can disagree about that reasonably, um, but certainly what came after, particularly what came after his presidency in '99, the fact that he didn't speak out and say, "Guys." We need to embrace this compromise that we've made around a liberal constitution because it's the best thing we could have hoped for. It's not like we were cheated at the the, bargaining table. Our army was not in a winning position. You need to make this work and stop hankering after some missed opportunity to spill blood to cleanse cleanse the sins of apartheid because it was never a good idea and it was never a practical idea
1: and it's never something we could have done. The other thing you probably should have said something about was HIV AIDS denialism. Mm -hmm. I
0: think he did do something by promoting, of yeah, course, Johnson. Johnson. Yes.
1: I think he, he did it that was his it, way of doing it, through he persons. It, he did it, He did it, but sort of not directly. Like, he didn't attack it directly, which w- created a space, I think, for people to th- believe two things about the ANC at the same time, yeah. which is what the ANC is very good at.
0: But the particular one in this instance... Yeah, yeah so I can't... Yeah, okay, I hear you. I, I hear you on that. The particular one on this is that on Tuesday... Almost no one in the country said, "Well done, F. W. de Klerk." This is 30 years after you made the bold decision to turn against Which the race nationalists in, in your own party. Seems
1: like a yeah, it seems like an easy thing to do because you know it was so hard horrible,
0: at the time, but it was difficult for him. There were so many people saying, you can't do this, you can't trust them. There were so many people saying, if you do this, much like with Ramaphosa today, there were so many people saying, if F.W. de Klerk releases Nelson Mandela, then he's not gonna be the president anymore because the nasty vipers in his party are gonna take him out and we're gonna get something even worse. So also centrists were saying it's a crazy thing to do or a dangerous thing to do. And yet he did it and it was the right thing to do. And no one congratulates him and no one congratulates him for the simple reason that no one can consider anymore publicly out loud that F.W. de Klerk had the power And F. W. de Klerk decided to let that power go in a in a beautiful and admirable and correct way after a nasty, nasty history.
1: He came in as this country's greatest reformer. Instead, no one celebrates. What we have is the that organisation which is the distilled essence of, of as far as I'm concerned, evil in this country. The EFF spitting in his face metaphorically and demanding that he be thrown out of parliament during the state of the nation address. They literally said the guy who released Mandela 30 years ago cannot
0: sit in parliament today and listen to what the new president has to say.
1: PW Botha
0: No but, respect. Sure, I see where you're coming from. PW Botha was Yeah, I, I had, agree, but
1: but FW de Klerk No, guys. No man, you have got to be serious, and it's and it's. But I mean, you know, speaking of serious, the, <laughs> did you see the EFF this week saying uh, that black people now can no longer fly to Durban because SAA has cancelled their flight there?
0: Oh my god!
1: No man, they're not serious. It's not even it's not even the cheapest airline. But this is the problem with them. They 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 work in a realm of just total fiction.
0: They do. I want to say one more thing about FW de Klerk. Since I've been knocking on Mandela, dude, I can't explain seriously enough how open criticism of a hero and a champion is not a way of taking them off their pedestal. It's a way of putting them on a real pedestal. And they are real yeah, pedestals. Despite
1: their flaws, they were actually this great thing.
0: Exactly. Mm. True human greatness does not lie in perfection.
1: Yeah, I think, I think uh, my favorite example of that is, you can hit, uh Churchill, right? Yeah. He had this moment of extreme sort of moral courage where he says, we are not going to negotiate with the Nazis, we are going to push on through. And yet, you can see his whole career, it has so many sort of black spots in it, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, lack of attention to stuff going on in India or- Yeah, he was really bad on India. Yeah, uh, his, um, his his Gallipoli campaign, which was probably a good idea, but ended up in a massive disaster. Yeah. There were so many things like this where he was sort of a little bit out of control. Yeah, and yet he's still a great man and a great human being because he did exactly what was needed of him at the moment of crisis. Perfect. And 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 the same can be said of Mandela, uh,
0: especially 1992 through 1999. Of F.W. de Klerk, I want to. I just want to give a word of warning to celebrate F.W. de Klerk is the kind of thing, why do you think South Africans struggle to do it so much? Let me tell you why I think South Africans struggle to do it so much. Hit besides hit me the- that good stuff. Besides the, besides the Nelson Mandela thing. And maybe this is a thing for white South Africans in particular. I think a lot of people in this country, because this country is so race obsessed and has been so defined by race for a long time. I think people think of race as an esteem team. So if you celebrate someone within the race, and especially if it's in the realm of politics, and especially if it's in the realm of race politics, if someone does a good thing, then somehow that's good for everyone of the same race. This is the esteemed team idea. If uh, the guy playing soccer for the team you support scores a goal, it makes you feel good about yourself. Somehow it makes you and all the fan club
1: cool the, as well. The EFF likes to talk about black excellence. Yeah. so While, if, while undermining it at the same time.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> well, if some black dude like Julius Malema has a Gucci watch, then somehow that's good for all black people. That's their thought, Religion. right? That, that, no, that's their thought. <laughs> that is their idea. Yes. And, and, and some people do think that way. That's certainly how the Nazis thought. They thought, you know, if the Fuhrer is great, it's kind of somehow he's like playing, he's on the soccer field, representing all Germans, so it's the wrong way to think. To celebrate and admire F. W. de Klerk is not to admire whiteness. It's not to give good points to whiteness. Only it's, fools yeah. think that. It's, if you, if you, if you happen to be listening to this, and you are not white, or you are white, you have equal access to the basic humanity that made the clerk see that the only way forward was to release Mandela and to negotiate with him a peaceful liberal constitution. That humanity cuts way through, there is an esteemed team that you can buy into and it's humanity. It is a great exercise in humanity. It's something all humans can be it's, proud of. It's a team like that should be much moon. bigger
1: than it is. So. Yeah, dude, it's the littlest
0: team in this country, uh, but, it's, but it's the most important team that there is. It's the same, you know, it's like the poets, when a poet does really well, it's because they're striking through the bullshit and they're hitting humanity. And that's why we can all get the good poets or the good musicians yeah, that's or the why, good that's why, uh, games designers. old,
1: uh, old Bill Shakespeare is a... Uh so universally recognized.
0: Yeah, especially by the co-founder of the ANC, Saul Plyke, for example, (laughs) biggest fan. Because he also got it. He got it, he got it. Anyway, so the point is, in celebrating F.W. de Klerk this week on a personal level, and I did. I went to quiz on Tuesday night and I said to everyone, cheers to F.W. de Klerk. And the sort of that faction of the quiz that uh, teachers that are professors at some of our local universities
1: gave me the biggest stink eye that I've gotten in (laughs) years. Well, that's what university does to you. Avoid university if you can, kids.
0: <laughs> it has nothing to do with some white team. God, I've, if, if I, there is such a thing as a white team, and it's the enemy. Yes. There's such a thing as a black team. That's the enemy. The real good teams... Those people
1: are what we like to call racists.
0: Yes. It's like really straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrating good dudes, whether it's like... Uh, the authors of the Baha'i Vagida or Herodotus or... I have
1: not read the Baha'i Vagida. Yeah, exactly.
0: you know, it's a, it's a great text. I've read a little bit of it and I think there's some t- profound transcendental wisdom in there. Well,
1: that's probably why it founded a religion that's lasted for 4,000 years.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Ain't got nothing to do with race. <laughs> also, those Russian writers who did very good things, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy... You can read them from anywhere. You don't have to be a Slav to like Russian literature. Anyone who thinks you have to be a Slav to like Russian literature is like just automatically disqualifying themselves from being taken seriously. But somehow to think that you can only be a fan of F.W. de Klerk if you look a certain way, that's like a serious idea. And I'm, I'm just debunking that idea, say that's bullshit. It's a nice week to remember F.W. de Klerk. He did a bloody good thing 30 years ago. Noz Mandela responded to it beautifully. He made a mistake in his later years, I think, of allowing people to celebrate him for what he didn't deserve to be celebrated for, and that's some kind of military heroism. Uh, Instead, he should have said, guys, don't don't love me for what I ain't, love me for what I am. And what I am is the greatest pragmatist in this country's history as president. Maybe since much, maybe ever, and 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 the most serious promulgator of, of profound human values. I am not the war hero that you make me out to be, and stop celebrating me on that purpose. If it means I get less likes, so be it. Let me get less likes. If Hindenburg had done that in 1920s Germany, we wouldn't be talking about him today,
1: because there would have been no. There would have been no. Hitler. Well, Germany would have had a better shot, yes, for sure, of not being the dystopian hellhole that it found itself yeah. uh, turning into in the 30s. And 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 it and went the way that it did, and
0: it hasn't gone that way yet, and it can't go that way. We're just not organised enough. But as we, <laughs> but
1: it can still be plenty bad.
0: The trains can't be on time here, but it can still be plenty bad. And so since everything is going slower, I'm just putting my head above the parapet to say if mandela had had the chance and had had the space for an honest conversation about it i think he would say you know it is a mistake for the youth to think that we were cheated at the negotiating table Mm. they're underestimating how how well i negotiated Mm. because i negotiated damn well in fact i negotiated the deal of the century given how weak our military forces were." of the century. Believe me. <laughs> so here we are speaking <laughs> as Mandela in Trump's voice.
1: Uh, what,
0: what, what else this will <laughs> I'm trying to mix the two accents in no, my no, head no.
1: It's, and it's it's, it's that, like that, a, that, that. that's a crime against God i really? not try that once. <laughs> it's a really short circuit in my brain Um. so what else what else should we talk about what What have we had we've had the the American Democrats uh, having their primary in New Hampshire and we've had the state of the nation in South Africa
0: Did, tell me that thing you, Nate Silver is the greatest pollster in the history of the world
1: oh, well <clears throat> I don't know about that but he's definitely a, a, a clever lad and and what's his take on Florida? Ah, uh, his take was um, that emoji where the person, little person, is shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> the because, best, the best. Because he, can't, he doesn't seem to like the, the, their model has changed so violently as each thing has happened. Nothing has worked out. Polling science has been broken. It, it appears to have been broken. Now, to be fair, the polling for the Iowa caucuses was way off, but. Uh, that's because caucuses, because they're a very weird thing that we don't need to get into too much, yeah. uh, are very difficult to poll. Yeah, the real is, margin of error. If anyone is telling you who's going to win the Nevada uh, pro- uh, caucus, which is coming up on, I think, Tuesday, mm. they're wrong mm. because it's completely impossible. Because they it. don't know.
0: And, and that's what Nate Silver and the Clever Guys were saying before anyway, New Hampshire. So by, it's not totally broken, but it is Bloomberg's
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know, even New Hampshire, they didn't see the massive surge coming for Amy Klobuchar at the end. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Bloomberg is polling well everywhere, but in some places Biden just seems to have this polling ability to resist the waves of of change uh, in the electorate. You know, Biden's done terribly in the first two contests. And yet, you know, a lot of his national polling hasn't changed that much. Some of it's a bit down, some of it's about the same place it was, and in a lot of states he seems to still be in the same place. Okay,
0: but since we've been talking about Hitler, can I say my theory about why that is?
1: yeah. So George Orwell- I haven't heard this, so
0: it could be bad. (laughs) (laughs) If this is me doing the Mandela Trump voice thing, (laughs) stop me before I get there. Okay, so Orwell had this theory about, Orwell wrote a review of Mein Kampf in 1940 that is the single best page of journalism in the 20th century, according to one Gabriel Krauser. Shoot me if you think I'm wrong, but not with a real gun. Um, And one of the things he says about Mein Kampf in 1940s, he says, okay, in 1938, Mein Kampf was still the fashionable book. You'd see it in the manor houses of fancy gents laid on the coffee table conspicuously Something next happened. to the new telephonic device.
1: Something happened in 1939. that changed that somewhat.
0: Then all of a sudden it became so unfashionable that the Red Cross is advertised as getting all the proceeds from book sales.
1: The, you know, the, uh, the, the my, my favorite American writer, Jonah Goldberg, likes to say that the words to some uh, famous song was, you're the best, you're Mussolini. It was <laughs> yes. very popular in America. It was red- <laughs> Hip in America until like <laughs> until suddenly in the 30s, very quickly,
0: quickly won, not so yeah, popular. Not so, so, dude, so the esteem economy can turn on a dime, it's such an important thing to remember in this racist country because it can turn on a dime. We, our true values can shine through in just a moment.
1: It's happened before, things change quickly. Zuma went from the hero of the people to the agent of state capture in yeah. about
0: two years, yeah, yeah, and not the first two, by the way, the <laughs> last two, yeah. just so that you know <laughs> if you haven't been following closely, okay, so. So Orwell says, now that we all hate Hitler, thank God, I'd like to get to a very important point. Why does anyone love him? Because when it, all of a sudden everyone wants to hate him, then that's the nice time for the contrarian they to all say- all get very
1: confused as to why, why do people love him.
0: Yes, let's not forget why they love him. And he identifies a few points. One of them is that pain, one of them is that like he says, capitalism is offering pain in five minutes. I'm, I'm interested Sorry, to, pleasure.
1: I'm, I'm interested to see how you're going to connect us to Biden.
0: I'll get there. Uh, he's saying uh, capitalism offers pleasure in five minutes. Socialism offers pleasure in five years. But fascism offers pain. And people are attracted to pain. People want their meaning to have suffering. And their suffering to have meaning. The valentines might have just gone to my head, I uh, say, as Nicholas is taking a picture of his own valentines. <laughs> <laughs> so so one 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 attraction of Hitler and the fas- one attraction of fascism more generally is it is it, is it gives meaning to suffering and that that's something that people want, especially when there's full of suffering and they, and they don't really trust pleasure anymore. They find pleasure in pain, they find masochism and sadism, they find sadomasochism and that's the the great insight of understanding the appeal of fascism as a whole. But he says if you understand the appeal of Hitler who can't really write very well, it's very verbose, it's sort of poor sentence structure a lot of the time, quite hard to read. I know because I've tried to read Mein Kampf a few times myself. The great attraction of Hitler, Orwell says, is you can, see, you can see it all in his face in the picture that used to be on the back of the book before the Red Cross donations were on the back of the book. When it used to be fashionable, it used to have his face. Ooh, ooh. It's grisly, dude. Ooh. It's grisly. And what was his face? He said, Orwell said, his face, his is the face of a man that aims and strives to succeed, but you know for all the world, he will fail. He is a man doomed to failure, but
1: who nevertheless tries. He's a striver. Wait, wait, wait. Are you trying to claim that people like Biden because he looks like he's destined to fail? I think that they like
0: him in the same kind of way. They, part of the esteem economy's uh, basic function is that a lot of people just wanna like a winner. They like winning itself. And so whatever looks like winning, they'll like that. So
1: you think that his attraction is that he is the noble loser?
0: I think that there's part of the, in every society, just as there's like 10% gays, 10% dudes who like Warcraft, uh, there's like- Represent. <laughs> there's 10% dudes, dudes rep, being a bi-gender term, just by the way, uh, who really like the look of someone who's gonna try, whether they win or lose because they're in it for something deeper. Well, that deeper.
1: used to be what defined the line. That's Biden. Fan.
0: That's Hitler. That's the Lions rugby fan. That was Tottenham Hotspur's fans until they did really well. That was uh, Springbok fans sort of after Jake White, but before Russia Rasmus.
1: Do Bafana Bafana fans count because they don't really ever win. If
0: like you them. are a Bafana Bafana fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Bafana Bafana won the African Cup of Nations in 1998 or, or thereabouts and hasn't won a soccer match since that I've noticed. And yet they're dudes who wear Bafana Bafana jerseys, including myself sometimes, and watch their matches, including myself sometimes. And they're in it for the. They're in it. They're not in it to win it. They're just in it. And that's Biden fans. Dude, most Biden fans really winning is cool. Losing proves that the system is rigged, which is the basis of the reason that we're doing this in the first place. That sounds a lot like
1: uh, Sanders fans from the first time around. You think they're different this time? Yeah, I think that they're the people who are looking at this thing and they're like, uh, I don't know about these other people. They all look a bit too clever or a bit too fancy or a bit too radical. I think we're just going to go with this guy because he's like, you know, we know him. He's been around. He's, yeah. he's, he's our dude. And I think that's particularly why black Americans have, have, have seemed to be the, the biggest support <laughs> block for him. Because they look at him and they say… Really? Are they not still with Biden? Uh, no, No, I'm talking with Biden. Oh, you were yeah, saying yeah, Saunders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying in the first time was Saunders, and this is, I'm describing.
0: And now Biden. Yeah, yeah, Bi-
1: Biden. yeah no, so Biden's fans. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, he, sorry, he, then I agree he's with you. Is you, what, you, you, what, you know, what you know.
0: Biden's fans are exactly he's, what you know. It's, it's what Americans called he's like mom's apple pie. Yeah. Yes, for me, boiled chicken.
1: And Saunders' time is the sort but of thing.
0: Sand- but I'm saying Saunders are the guys who yeah. are, the, oh, yeah. are the losers. They. And not losers, not losers in, in, a, in, a, in a derogatory way. Like I've got a
1: lot of respect for people who don't care about winning or losing. Dude, I come from a political family that's been in opposition politics since forever, for yeah. like six decades. For genera, yeah, <laughs> literally for generations. <laughs> we <we're> used to, <laughs> we used to losing, so I know the feeling very well.
0: <laughs> that noble loser thing. So I'm not surprised that when that 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 some candidates are quite resistant to. Uh, this early bump in favor of Buttigieg and Klobuchar's comeback and Bloomberg's massive money kind of swing in because they don't really mind one way or another. For for a lot of Biden fans, it is, as you say, it's, it's mother's own cooking and that's something that you're going to like. Whatever's winning the fashion stakes and for Saunders fans, it's this this ultra revolutionary, we're the, yeah, yeah.
1: We're in the revolution.
0: They're both, they're both dedicated to losing. And I think, and I, I really do think that that in itself is neither good nor bad. I think being a dedicated loser is neither good nor bad. It's will, a, it's I like will, a very powerful tool, it it's was like was a bad. gun
1: or a knife. It can go either way. So the Bernie fans on Twitter are the worst of the Twitter fans. Now all the Twitter fans are bad, yeah. but the Bernie ones are the worst. I think a whole bunch of the Bernie ones like the so so the the culinary union is very powerful in uh, Nevada democratic politics right and the fact that they didn't endorse Bernie Sanders or that they were suspected of being about to endorse one of the other candidates got I think all of the union the union brass would, were had their personal details leaked and were sent thousands of death threats by these these uh, chaps and Bernie Sanders it's gotten so that's bad not nice, that dude. he had to say that's serious he had to say no stop stop being mean don't be a, a thug that stop kind of, being a thug this is what our revolution is about that's very Brooklyn your Brooklyn is sort of going to Queens (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. I I haven't spent as long in New York as you have
0: (laughs) we really need to work on our accents I think it's secretly one of our key assets on this podcast it's kind of two crickets it's kind of two dudes trying to do accents (laughs)
1: If that's, we, that's the only reason anyone listens by the way thank you to everyone for listening because this is I, I think last week was our most downloaded episode ever yeah so thank you very no much. It's,
0: it's really growing nicely it's been growing consistently over the last year and for, for, for regular fans from the beginning you would have heard a little bit of what I said at the start already but I'm happy to I, I hope you're happy to hear it again and here, flesh it out a little bit more we're pulling up to 10 minutes before the end uh, so We've now, done South African politics. We've well, done well, just American politics. politics. And
1: I'll, I'll summarize it as this, which is that uh, it was the most surreal speech ever. Uh, it can't stand against its own contradictions. And uh, I'm so glad that I wasn't forced to watch it. I just could watch the updates and texts on the side while I played video games. I hate you. <laughs> ah, the power just flickered and yet our recording remains alive. Oh my God. <laughs> we have lost an
0: episode of Two Crickets. Before, because, before of exactly. because of that. But the generator kicked in just in time. So hopefully, this is going to work. <laughs>
1: Nick, we need to end quickly before something goes wrong.
0: No, we need to quickly pour ourselves another Ballantines. No, dude, I don't know if I can. I dude, don't know if I can handle another whiskey. I don't anymore. want to talk about Sona because the thing, <laughs> the, the thing about Sona, whiskey. it started, it started with this like EFF thing, which was a distraction from Sona, and Sona was a distraction from the
1: real issues. Yes. So there was a distraction within a distraction, which is... Which, which is confirmed that someone in the ANC, maybe it's the Ace Faction, maybe it's even Searle himself, is using the EFF like a beautiful tool yeah. to just hide their nonsense and to create this fake dynamic. I mean, people like my, my great nemesis, Adrian Besson, I don't know why, he's ended up becoming the face of everything <laughs> I complain about in the media. Well, he's a really important, powerful guy. It's also probably because I visit News24 more than other news websites. Yeah. That's not an endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, You hate watch, you hate read News24. No, I'm just lazy because it's the one I have bookmarked. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and the others are even worse. I read it a lot because it's important. Yeah. Um anyway, Edwin Basson has completely fallen for this sort of little narrative play that's being played out. Ooh, is the state capture Zumerites against the noble Cyril, and Cyril's battling them, and Prugman Gordon and Cyril are fighting with the forces of darkness. Meanwhile, both factions are doing their level best to put us in. Absolutely in the lurch. Yeah. I mean, Cyril, you know, Cyril on one hand stands up and says, oh, well, we're endorsing Tito Mbaweni's economic plan. What a great idea. I'm so happy he did that. Yeah, no, It really is good that he did that. And then at the same time, he says, oh, and uh, by the way, um, we're expropriating the land and I'm looking forward to amending the constitution. Then he says we have great problems in this country and I'm very concerned about them. And it's like, uh, yes, that's brilliant. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes, you and started so seriously. At the same time, he's like, uh, but also our education system is great and congratulations to everyone who passed matric, even though we've got huge numbers of kids who can't even... Dude, he
0: cites them. the bullshit like 86% matric pass rate, which is only true if you don't count all of the dudes who dropped out in grade 11, which is like and 30% of the, the dudes. And the fact
1: the number of people who got below 50% for their subjects and yet still pass. (sighs) Uh, He also has all this nice rhetoric about uniting people and... Uh, bringing unity in the country and building a South Africa for both black and white, and and then he goes on to talk about how NA, uh, NHI and how we're so looking forward to it. Something that will destroy the middle class in this country, both yeah. black and white. So I yeah. suppose he's doing something for both black and white.
0: unify us through <laughs> <laughs> unify us through suffering. <laughs> through oh my god, okay, Nick. Cheers to unification through suffering. Sorry, That's, I'm
1: pessimistic. This is, this is that was
0: mind. that was our Sona special. I had to read the whole goddamn thing and speak about it with various other sort of TV platforms. Oh, I read it, so I I'm just, not. I'm not. No. I no, you did
1: as closely as yet no, 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 you
0: you read it the next day, like I read it the next day. Watching it at night, I couldn't b- b- bring myself to do. That's it. We've got another. We've got another. We've managed to do that in four minutes. I don't want to talk about Sona anymore.
1: Yeah, I know it's rubbish. Okay, we'll talk so, about the whole day.
0: So six minute special.
1: Uh, I guess the conclusion for for, for the Sona thing is this. No. Which is that? No, 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 no I don't no, want to hear no, this. No, 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 no. no more Sona. You'll like this. You'll like this. Give me, give me a chance. Give me a chance. Ow. No, we're not allowed to give financial advice. But I'm buying gold. <laughs>
0: Dude, you really need to buy gold <laughs> This is This is uh, Okay Cheers to buying gold Cheers to buying gold And now For our final Five minute special
1: Where Nicholas Is going to Tell us About pyramids So this I think is something We're going to have to explore In another podcast But this is a great idea The pyramids at the time, probably, unless you were, of course, a religious-believing Egyptian, probably seemed like a really, really thick idea. You were going to get the entire workforce in their off-season to, instead of doing whatever they could do, you know, maybe make stuff, maybe invent things, maybe just relax, Mm. you were going to force them to drag very heavy blocks of stone up a very big dirt ramp and pile them on top of each other Mm. so that you could put all of your valuables inside... (laughs) And then put a dead dude inside. Put a dead dude with the valuable. Then limestone it. Then limestone the whole thing. And just leave it. What if, if you propose this in a modern economy, people, even Bernie Sanders would be like, this is wasteful expenditure. I don't know why this we're is, doing this. This is big this government is gone the 1%, wild. This <laughs> is Right?
0: This is, I don't, this is not even for the 1%. They're taking all the money. They're putting it inside a triangle of rocks. You can't, then they close the door. I don't,
1: I don't care how many jobs it's creating. It's not worth it. Um, but in South Africa, but the thing is, you know what? The, at least you would see it. it, it and here's the thing 2,000 years after the pyramids built, 3,000 years after the pyramids built. Yeah The Romans and the Greeks are visiting them as a tourist attraction. Isn't that amazing? The whole Egyptian tourist industry is based off of these massive piles of stone in the That's desert. the
0: Egyptian tourist industry two
1: and a half thousand years ago from us. Yes, from us. It's still going today. It's the world's greatest tourist, it's the best investment. It, it, was, it was an amazing idea. So here's the thing.
0: 5,000, if you're thinking in a 10,000 year horizon, if Ramaphosa really is a long-term strategist, if he really wants guys, to we need one, to get serious about the long-term if strategy. If he wants to
1: use government to create jobs, why not pile a really large number of bricks on top of each other? Go long-term guys, go really long-term. If you make a really cool building, yeah. even one that's useless, <laughs> People will come and view it.
0: Dude, if you make that pile big enough in 7,000 years' time,
1: people will still the long-term strategy will pay off. Just make it out of something really durable. Put some impressive structure to it. Maybe add a little bit of mystery so that people will claim that it was built by aliens or something stupid yeah, in, exactly. in, in, in 5,000 years. Put gold inside. and or, or you don't even have to. You just have to tell people you put gold inside. Tell people you put gold inside, but buy gold. <laughs> Keep it. <laughs> Buy gold and keep it But put the gold inside Although we're not licensed financially We're policy. not
0: telling you that We're just saying buy gold
1: Yeah we're just saying buy gold It's
0: like a song It's just a lyric from a song Buy gold
1: um, but, but, but monumentalism is a massively underutilized uh, uh, concept In the modern world Because we've gotten all so practical Yeah um, and actually it can be a damn good idea In very specific circumstances Like when you have an enormous amount of unemployment And also it probably wouldn't cost as much As how much money the government throws away On a lot of other things Yeah, so if, if the government like privatized you know, We privatized SA and ESCOM And we can use the savings yeah. to build a pyramid
0: Yeah Dude, we could, I reckon we could build like a pyramid and a half <laughs> Dude, it's gonna be so lit Fam, Work. And I think it will outlive the words LitFam and work. It will probably outlive the English language.
1: It, 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 it actually will, and I think on that high note. Okay, we yeah. probably have to call this to an end guys, before we come up with another bad idea, guys.
0: If you have if you have had a week as long as ours, uh, battling, oh, have a really good weekend. We will be back with you uh, next Friday. And uh, keep free, keep loving freedom, keep thinking.